You're listening to the Jesus Culture San Diego Message of the Week. Well, welcome to the Jesus Culture San Diego Message of the Week. We have not started the church yet, but uh, my name is Zach Curry. I'm the lead pastor of JC San Diego. And with me, we have Banning Leapshirt, founder, senior leader, senior pastor, not only in Sacramento, but over our whole movement with us. We're so excited to get ready to launch. And so, Banning, how you doing? I'm doing so good. And come on, this is the first ever Jesus Culture San Diego podcast. I feel like we need like a cake or something to celebrate this. <laughs> this is a monumental, significant moment right now. The first ever podcast. We're going to edit in some applause and uh, all that stuff. But Zach, I can think of nobody that I would want to do a first ever San Diego podcast with than you. So <laughs> I'm excited about this. This is kind of a flashback because we did this sev- seven years ago as we prepared to launch Sacramento and... So here we are again, yeah. you know? Are we considered veterans on our second church plant? How many church plants do you have to do before you're considered a veteran? I don't feel like a veteran yet, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but... More than more than two. Yeah. You hear about these guys that have planted like 80 churches or something, so we have a ways to go. So here's what we're doing today. Um, I, I thought it would be really cool for you guys to hear a little bit of the story of how we actually ended up here in... San Diego. And um, to do that, there's some dreams or some history that Banning and and myself would love to share with you guys. And then two, um, we're actually going to share a message with you at the end of this. So this will be our, our sermon of the week. Every week we'll be sharing the messages coming out of JC San Diego. But as we lead up to actually launching, we're going we're gonna to share a couple episodes with some messages, but also some history, some story, meeting some of our team. So obviously, Banning, we would not be here without you. Uh, the dream of, you know, leading us to, you know, before a church, way before that, a youth movement, you were a youth pastor. So I think I thought it'd be cool just to share some of the real quick history of Jesus culture, because a lot of people know yeah. the music, but don't know, one, how we ended up starting in a church, and then two, why why San Diego? Why are we here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, first we came out, We, you know, I was on staff at Bethel uh, up in Reading for 18 years. And I was a youth pastor there and Jesus culture was just our youth movement. I mean, we were, I was a youth pastor with a bunch of youth kids and some youth leaders. And we were just dreaming about, you know, seeing a generation lit on fire for Jesus, you know? So, um, and then out of that kind of came conferences and music and all that. But at the core of who we are, we really want to see revival. I mean, we want to see God move in our day. We want to see a harvest come in. We want to see believers grow in their passion for Jesus and ultimately in his cause in the earth. I mean, this is what we're about. We want to see believers awakened by the power and love of God who, who fall deeper in love with Jesus and give themselves to what he's doing in the earth. And so when we say revival though, and all that that entails, and that means a lot of different things for different people. But when we say revival, just the God moving harvest coming and all that stuff, Ultimately, I would say this is that I just believe I am a firm believer in the local church. I am a die hard believer in the local church. And I actually believe that the local church is the vehicle through which revival comes. And so for us, uh, um, this is just the natural outflow as we say, hey, we want to see God move in our day. We want to see believers ignited with a greater passion and intimacy and love for Jesus. We want to see the lost get saved. We want to see leaders raised up and equipped and sent to go engage the call of God on their life. 
all of this stuff happens in the context of the local church. Yeah. The local church is where you find family. The local church is where you get equipped. The local church is where you get healed. The local church is where you get discipled. It's where you grow. And ultimately, it's where you're sent to go do what God's called you to do. Yeah. The local church is where communities where you find who God's calling you to be. And it's from there that you go do what God's calling you to do. Yeah. So, you know, when, when we have a passion for Jesus culture, uh, it, it, even whether, whether we were pointing ourselves at teenagers years ago, or whether we're just pointing ourselves at all ages now, uh, it's, it's all the same for us. And San Diego, we'll, we can have this conversation, obviously, and I'll let you jump in, Zach, but, but San Diego, the Lord's been speaking to us clearly about for a, a few years now. Yeah. But I will say this, we have a heart for California. Mm-hmm. We have a heart for California. I know that there's been a great exodus out of California. I know that a lot of people maybe speak negatively about California. I will say this. I think that God wants to move in California. Yeah. I think that God has his eye in California. And and uh, I think that the roots, the, the foundation, the history of revival in California is rich and it's deep. But God hasn't forgotten about California. And so I think it's for us, I'm excited about San Diego because it, it really, for us, it allows us to have that you know, we're going after Sacramento and the capital and the, mm-hmm. the the entire region up here and kind of that North state, uh, the Northern California. But then, man, we're going to be in San Diego as well, just going after God down there. And and I love that concept of the North and South. So it's exciting, man. I'm excited, so exciting. To, to be a part of what God's doing. And there's already incredible stuff. Zach, you've been down there and I could probably interview you on this. Yeah. God is on the move in San Diego. Totally. There's an incredible movement of unity. There's mm. an incredible movement of hunger. Churches are alive down mm. there. So we're excited just to come and jump in and link arms with them. When you were talking about our heart for California, I'm I'm having flashbacks of probably about nine years ago when you started talking about God started leading to planning a church. And at the time, we didn't know it was Sacramento, uh, the first Jesus Culture Church. And um, if you hang around us long enough, you know that we're led, well, you'll find out and hear our story, we're led by dreams or prophetic words. And so um, God confirmed to you, and then you began to share with our team, like, we're called to stay in California. And then, you know, we, we were led to Sacramento. But we actually, or you specifically, had people from all over giving you dreams and words about other Jesus culture churches happening before we even had one yet. So we kind of put that on the shelf, but here we are now kind of seeing that begin to come into fruition. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately we're just trying to, uh, we just want to know what the Lord's asking of us. I mean, we're not to sound super spiritual, but ultimately we're, we just want to be obedience driven. Yeah. Um, I want to do what God's asking of us just that's the highest order for me. Mm-hmm. And so, so as we kind of lean in and, and, uh, the Lord led us to Sacramento and, and then as we were in Sacramento, really establishing this here and, and, um, the church here, I, I you know, all of a sudden people are sending me dreams and I'm getting a phone call because some guy randomly was prophesying about Jesus culture in San Diego. And, and all of a sudden, San Diego just kind of came on our radar, yeah. uh, on our spiritual radar. And, and we're leaning in all the time. We're leaning in just saying, God, what is it that you're asking of us? Mm-hmm. God, what is it that you're asking us to do? That's what we want to do above all else. And so, uh, and, so we, and we waited, you know, I think that it was a, it was a few years that I, we were just, there was just a real sense that something's stirring in San Diego for us. And, um, and it's just amazing how you kind of lean into that a little bit and then, 
just the timing is right. Mm-hmm. You, you can just tell like, man, this is the timing of the Lord for us down there. And so, and, and I think this, I would, I would say people listening right now, I'm convinced that when there's a stirring that happens, mm-hmm. it's because God intends to do something. So there's a book that I read years ago on the Welsh revival, which happened in 1904 in Wales. And if you're a student of revival history at all, any Pentecostal charismatic uh, movement today kind of can trace its roots back to the Welsh revival. It had a worldwide massive impact. But but in this book, the author was talking about how um, that two years before the Welsh revival, um, all across Wales, there was these prayer meetings that began to pop up, uh, not connected to one another, but they were just prayer was being stirred all over the Wales, all over the island, all over the region. And um, and then revival breaks out in 1904. But what he talks about is this. He compared the prayer gatherings and revival to a woman in in labor with hmm. birth pangs. Yeah. And he talks about that. It's not the birth pangs that create the baby. It's the baby that created the birth pangs, wow. not the birth pangs that caused revival. It was revival that caused the birth. It was the baby that caused the birth pangs. Yeah. And in the same way, he used the analogy that it's not prayer that even causes revival. It's revival that causes prayer. Wow. And I love this because anytime our hearts are stirred and anybody listening right now, I tell you this, wherever God's stirring your heart, if there's a hunger if there's a hunger rising in you, if there's a passion growing, if there's a stirring in your heart, that stirring is because there's a baby coming. Mm, yeah. It's the baby that's causing that. Yeah. And so even I, I'm just I, I believe God wants to move in San Diego, not because we're showing up. Yeah. But I believe that there was a stirring in our heart because of what God intends to do down there in our heart. And and I think that that's caused this this stirring and the prophetic and things like that. It's so good. And, you know, our family's been here just about a year now. And I can tell you what you're saying is so true. Like we, we've just felt so humbled coming in, feeling the, the warm welcome from pastors across the region and seeing a hunger and a momentum that... We, you know, we, we, we're just stepping into, like you said this already, like we're not, we're coming to join what God's already doing yeah, and just say, hey, absolutely. we're, we're going to put our hand to the plow and join in with what, you know, there's people here I've talked to for 30 years praying for, yeah. for San Diego in this region. And we're just like, yeah, this is amazing. And so we experienced that in Sacramento. We experienced that. I mean, much of the fruit that we were experiencing in Sacramento is because somebody else sowed in tears. I mean, people have been planting seeds and crying out to God. And, and so, but we're excited. I I can't wait. You know, we're excited to get down to San Diego. I I think I have to become a Padres fan now. Are you conflicted as a Giants fan? Uh, you know, you know. But I, I can I can I can uh, <laughs> you know I can expand I can expand my heart. I can expand my heart and take on the Padres. And so uh, yeah, we're we're excited to get down there. Well, you guys, that's just a little bit of some of our history and story. And, um, um, you know, we're, we're a part of a larger movement. So the San Diego uh, church here is a part of what Jesus Culture is doing in Sacramento and beyond. So we're so excited to be on this journey. And we felt like um, there were some key messages, especially in a local church context. And one of those is um, a message that you speak, banning on really the church being a family and not a business. I don't know. Uh, we're going to share that message in just a minute, but anything to, to, to share on that? We want you guys to get a feel on a heart for what we're going after, why San Diego, some of the backstory, and then here's some of these messages that are really core values um, for us as a community. Yeah. Well, listen, this is, this is one of those foundational things for us, that ultimately church is a family. It's not a business. 
I'll unpack that a little bit, but it matters because I talk about this, how we view something determines how we interact with it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think how, if things are going to be effective, then they have to operate as God created them. Mm -hmm. We can't just change how God created something and expect it to be effective. And for, for, this isn't a knock on the church, but sometimes we approach the church as if it's a business and it's not a business, it's a family. And that has nothing to do with size for me. A lot of people think, well, you can't be a big church and be a family. It is a culture issue for me. It's not a size issue. There are small churches that don't operate like a family and there are big churches that do because it's a cultural issue. It's how you approach it. It's how you engage it. Family is not about every single person knowing your name and having dinner at your house. It's about the concept of how we come together and maturity and taking responsibility for our life and jumping in. So, so it's one of the foundational things and to truly kind of understand who we are and what we're about. Uh, this message is definitely one of them where we're like, you gotta, you gotta understand kind of this, this take on how we view church. Yeah. And, um, and if it resonates with you, man, we love it. We'd love to see you come out and jump in and, and, uh, you know, come give us a high five on Sunday. Totally. And the good news, you guys, is Banny will be down here a bunch, as well as some of our team from Sacramento. And it's it's going to be fun. So check out this message from Banning and um, subscribe to this uh, podcast if you want to get the weekly sermons as we move forward. But we're stoked to be on this journey. And uh, here we go. Let's do this. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20 and John chapter 15. We are in the middle of a series, just again, tell you what we're doing. We're doing uh, something called Church I See, which is uh, when we turned four years old in September as a church, really felt that we were to take the next few months and just kind of unpack or revisit again kind of the core foundational values uh, in our church and what God is building upon. Uh, I really very much believe that these core values are there but I feel like God wants to go even deeper in some areas because of what he wants to build. So we started, I think this is going to be week eight or something. We talked about uh, apostolic model, that our goal is to advance the kingdom, not just take care of needs. Uh, radically generous, full of hope, generational, authentic, believes nothing is impossible, submitted to scripture. And today I want to talk about this issue of a family that serves. Now again, I, I really believe that all of those things are in our environment already, but that God is really asking us again to pay attention to the foundation. Foundation matters. Foundation is something that you need to be deliberate and intentional about. Foundation matters. The strength and stability of any structure is going to be connected to the foundation that it's built on. And if the foundation is bad, then the structure doesn't have strength or stability for the long term. In fact, when they build skyscrapers, if you look around the world and see those huge skyscrapers, they spend a lot of time. They don't just throw those things up. Those are built on very intentional foundations to make sure that it can hold the weight of that. So some of those structures, they'll go 200 feet in the ground. They will literally build a foundation that is 200 feet in the ground and that the deeper it gets, the wider it has to get. And I feel like what the Lord wants to do is that, that there's many things that are in our culture, but that he wants to do something. We're not, we don't want to just build a 10-story high building. There is a skyscraper God wants to build with us, and we have to continually go deeper in these foundational issues. We've shared this before, but, um, you know, Shasta Dam, where we're from in Reading, 
Uh, one of our claims to fame in Reading, which nobody outside of Reading cares about these stats, except for people that live in Reading, or maybe just me, I don't know. But Shasta Dam, which uh, Shasta Lake is the, long, the largest uh, man-made lake in the nation. But Shasta Dam is the second largest concrete gravity dam. But if it, it comes 602 feet out of the ground. But, but what helps it do what it does is not just what you see with your eyes, but below the surface, the foundation. It goes 85 feet into the ground. And then if you looked at it from the side, it, its width or its thickness is 883 feet. It's actually thicker 85 feet in the ground than it actually is tall out of the ground. And that's the picture. I believe that God has wanted us to continue to go deep in these issues. For some of you, you haven't heard us talk about these, so they're new. But for those that have been around, we have to continue to build this thing deep so that God can put in our midst what he wants to. And so that's why we're going after these things and really paying attention to them. And Jesus talked about being intentional. We can't be flippant or careless about the foundation we're building here. He, he said, you know, you can put your house on a sand... You can choose the wrong foundation, but it won't go well when the storm comes, or you can put it on the rock and things go well. Jesus actually taught on the issue of make sure that you have the right foundation in your life so that he can do what he wants to do. Here we go, Matthew chapter 20. Now, I'm going to talk about serving today, and then we're going to end with this concept of what that looks like in family. But there is a ton, we could do a whole series, long series on the issue of serving. One of the things that becomes very clear when you read the words of Jesus and when you look at his life is that he calls believers, he calls followers of Jesus to, to live like he did and that looks like serving. Again and again, he says, here's the example I gave you, now follow that example. Here's two of those passages. Matthew chapter 20 verse 25 says this, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Again, he's consistently showing you that this is the world system, but the kingdom system, the kingdom culture is different than the world's system. That in the kingdom, if you want to gain your life, you lose it. And he's constantly showing you like, that may be how the world operates, but that's not how we operate, because we're not in the world, we're in the kingdom. This is what he's doing. So he says it here again, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority of them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And here's, here's why he can make that statement. He points at his own life. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Here's John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, which he's about to tell us what that commandment is, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, when he says that to us, he says, here's the commandment I have for you. Love others the same way I've loved you. And then just to make sure that he doesn't leave us to define love however we want to define love, he says, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Here's the greatest love. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life 
for his friends. I want to call you to serve and be a part of building a community and a culture that has serving at its core. Because serving is a key foundational issue in the Christian life. It is not an inconsequential, uh, inconsequential issue. It is not a side issue or an irrelevant. It is a key issue in the Christian life. At its foundation, it's about serving. It's about following Jesus and living as he lived. If you were to build a house, you want to make sure that people are paying attention and focusing on the right thing. If builders or architects came and they spent the whole time talking to you about how they've spent all of their time focusing on the trim of the house, they've really put some time and energy into the trim and they're really excited about the trim. And if I asked them, I'm like, well, what about the foundation? If they said, well, well I'm the fa- we just, you know, that, we didn't spend much time on the foundation, but all of this we've spent time on, I'd be concerned because that house doesn't matter how good the house looks, if the foundation isn't right, it's not going to last. And in your Christian life, there's a lot of stuff you can focus on, but you've got to make sure that you're focusing on the core foundational issues, the core foundational issues. If you want to build a healthy, thriving Christian life, if you want a place where God can come and put skyscrapers in your environment, then you really do have to pay attention to that. This isn't, and serving is not one of those kind of side issues. It's at the core of what we're doing. And it's at the core of the Christian life. And one of the things we have to recognize is that we can't just be, we can't just be hearers, or what I would say talkers. There's a, you know, we read this last week in, where it says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. There's this, there's this thing that, that I can hear it and I can talk about it, but none of that changes anything. Like, I I want to invite you to be a part of establishing the foundation, and I want to invite you to be a part of changing and establishing culture in this house. But nobody changed or nobody established culture by just talking about it. We live in an era right now where somehow there is a lot of talk going on, but not a lot of action or doing. There's just a lot of talk happening, and somehow we feel okay with just talking about it whether it's social media or whatever else it is. I mean, when you really ask people, like, you're pretty passionate about that issue. Yep. What are you doing about it? I retweet a lot of things. (laughs) I'm just telling you, and I I love all this, but nobody changed the world by retweeting things. You change the world, you establish culture by actually being a doer. Not by talking about it, but by doing it. It's not just that I hear it. It's not just that I talk about it. It's that I do it. That's how we establish culture. That's how we change the world. That's how we get things done. As you do it, you don't just talk about it. We all have things in our life that we talk about but don't ever do anything about. I have a long list as I was sitting there thinking what I, I have a handful in my life. One of them, which is inconsequential, but one of them is um, my dogs. I am the worst dog trainer in the world. It's, it's bad. My dogs don't obey me. They don't they have like two commands they'll obey. They just sit there, I'll be like, come, come. And they just sit there and look at me. Don't ever, it's, it. but one of the things I've always wanted, I want my dogs to be able to hang out with me, not on a leash. I want to be the guy that's out in the front yard doing work and my dog's laying on the uh, grass, not going anywhere. I want to be the guy that's walking in the neighborhood with my dog, not happen. If my dog is out there, they're gone. They just take off and don't come back. And there's nothing, they don't even listen to me. I will, but, but I talk a lot about it. 
Like I'll be with CJ and we'll be driving down the road and I'll see a guy in the yard and he's got his dog just sitting out there hanging out with him. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna train our dogs. I'm gonna train our dogs to sit in the front yard and not run off. I'm gonna do it. Or I saw a guy riding a bike. I was so jealous. He was riding his bike and his dog was just following him along. I'm like, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go train my dog. But I'm not gonna go train my dog and I know I'm not going to. I just am talking about it. This is, I just am talking about it. I'm not actually going to go do it. And so because of that, guess what? My dogs don't sit out in the front yard. They don't follow me along on the leash because it's, it's all talk. And again, there's areas in our life where we talk more than we do. But when it comes to foundational culture issues, cultural issues in your life, you can't talk about it. You got to go do it. You got to actually go do it. And if you don't, something else is going to establish culture. Here, here's the reality. If we're not intentional and, we're, and if we're not deliberate, and again, I can go through this whole list, right? Uh, generous and hope and generational and authentic and believe nothing is impossible and submitted to scripture. I can go through that whole list and I really believe that's here already, but that God is just calling us deeper. But if we're not intentional about these foundational issues, something is going to build culture. Something is. And if it's not the people in this church that say, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to follow Jesus and do what he's telling me to do, then it's a world system that begins to creep in and influence. Guys, we live in a world that is driven by insecurity, driven by insecurity. And what that means is, is when I'm insecure, I'm about me. When I'm insecure, I'm about me because if I don't take care of me, nobody else will. Security comes from knowing that God will take care of me, that God will provide. But when I don't have that security and I am insecure, then I am driven by a me first mentality. I got to get mine. I got to get to the front of the line. I can't stop and serve somebody else. I can't champion anybody else because I got to go get mine because nobody else is going to get it if I don't. And so we live in that type of world that's scrambling to get to the front of the line that at the expense of others. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy, I'm going to tell you one of my pet peeves. I, I don't know why, but you know when you're in a long line of cars, like at a stop sign, and then there's a guy in a parking lot that's trying to get into the line, and nobody lets him in? <laughs> drives me crazy. Like they stay as close to the bumper in front of him as possible, like just letting that guy know, no, you're not getting in. I'm not letting you in. Uh, you, you're like... And I, again, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm the guy that stops. I'm like, I will waste five seconds of my life to let you in. But this is that world system that's just like, no, I can't actually stop and serve you, care about you, be interested in your needs, because I got to get somewhere. And if I don't get somewhere, I'm not going to get there. And so we don't even let, it's just, it's just, you know, we don't even let people in. But, but, but that, that countercultural swimming upstream concept is, no, like we will get where we need to go because God's going to get me there. I don't need to scramble to the front of the line. I don't need to fight for this. I don't need to do this at somebody else's expense because, listen, God's the one that gave me everything anyways. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. So I can actually serve people. I can actually stop and care about you and care about your needs and champion you. It's not that I no longer, in Philippians, it says, uh, it's not that I don't care about my needs, but I also care about the needs of others. Along with my needs, I care about the needs of others. That is a countercultural concept. 
And if we are not deliberate and intentional in establishing a kingdom culture and kingdom foundations, then the world creeps in and it's a, you know, every man for himself. Do you know that every man for himself, this is what I love about preaching every week, I find out information, but every man for himself, you know where that phrase comes from? That phrase, every man for himself, is, is a British military term. Listen to this. It's British military origin in, in armed force in armed force terms, armed forces terms, this formal order is a specific command, sometimes issued in a case where the strategic situation has become hopeless, the collapse of a force is imminent, and there is no chance of relief. Once given, the order suspends certain aspects of military discipline, allowing each individual to surrender, flee, or continue fighting independently according to their individual circumstances without regard to previous battle orders. It also means that the parent force is declaring itself free of any duty to continue to provide further supplies, medical aid, or tactical support for the forces who receive this order. This is like worst case scenario. All hope is lost. Every man for himself. When you have an environment that has any tinge of that, like you're on your own. We don't actually lay our lives down for one another. We don't actually serve one another. We don't actually care about the needs of others. You're, you're literally describing an environment where all hope has been lost, defeat is imminent, every man for himself just flees, just chaos. And we've got, we've got to say no, like no, it's not every man for himself in our environment. We have a provider, there is hope, and this manifests in us serving one another. Not just, I'm gonna to talk to you in a moment about practically how you can get involved here, but it's not just what you would do on a Sunday, it's that I have encouragement that I freely serve with, that, that, that I have finances, that I have time or energy, that I have prayer. There's so many things that God has given me that I'm called to serve others with that. And if I'm in such a hurry that I can't stop long enough to let somebody get in line in front of me and actually care about somebody else's needs, or if I'm not actually laying my life down, I need to take a pause and just go, wait a second, I, I, I need to be love manifest as I lay down my life. If you were to ask me, Banning, what is it that you, what is the, the, the church that you see, what does it look like? There'd be a list of things we're going through, but three of them at the top would be, it would be a church where great people are being built, where greatness is on display. It'd be a church where people are full of joy. It'd be a church where the culture of love, where there is an environment of love. Do you know that all three of those, greatness, joy, love, are all connected to serving? This is what these two passages say. They're all connected to serving. Jesus did not reprimand the disciples around their desire to be great. God, God doesn't mind that you have a desire to be great, that you have greatness in your life. He doesn't mind that. What he was trying to say was, listen, I want you to be great, but how you get to greatness is different than the world. Here's, he said, here's how you become great. Serve, serve. I want great people in this church. I want, 
I want people to be built in this church that are great and greatness is on display. But great people serve. Great people champion others. Great people lay their lives down for one another. Same thing with joy. It's fascinating this passage that he's talking about when you lay your life down. He says, so that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be made full. So that your joy may be full and my joy may remain in you. What is that connected to? That I would lay down my life for others. That when I lay down my life, one of the reasons why I have such a passion for people to serve is because there is something about when people serve, when I take what God has given me and I use it to serve you. When I'm not just trying to get to the front of the line, but I'm helping you get to the front of the line. When I'm praying for breakthrough in your life, when I'm encouraging you and championing you, there is so much joy. The Bible actually says that the joy, my joy is full and his joy remains in me. Many people have lost joy in their life because they're somehow, they've just forgotten to serve. They've forgotten to actually lay their lives down. And then love. Love manifests when we lay our lives down for one another. My challenge to you is around this issue. Is is that I, I wanna recruit you to be a part of establishing a culture and a foundation in this environment where love manifests Joy is full, greatness is put on display, and God can actually build what he wants to build here because we have been intentional. We've been intentional about this issue of serving. Practically, that means that you jump in and get involved. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give some repeat for those that are new around here, but when we first planted the church, we started talking about this issue, that church is a family, not a business. That church is a family, not a business. And it's important that you recognize it as a family because how I see something determines how I interact with it. If I have a view of something, then it's now telling me that's how I need to interact and engage with it. And if you think church is a business, many people are frustrated in church simply because, and they don't know this, but they see it and view it as a business. So I'm interacting with it that way, not realizing it's not a business, it's a family. And those are two different things that require different levels of interaction. It's the, it's the restaurant versus a house. How I approach a restaurant is different than how I approach my house. If I came into my house and acted like it was a restaurant, it wouldn't go well. If I come and sit down in my front, you know, and sit down at my table after I walk in and wonder why nobody's bringing me any water and little rolls of bread and checking on me. And I'm like, is anybody going to bring me water around the house? No, no. Get up. Get your own water. What's wrong with you? Like, because it's not a restaurant, it's a house. It's a place where I, I contribute. It's a place where I find community. It's a place where I jump in. And so, so we applaud this concept. We're like, yes, I want family. Yes, I want to be a part of a house, not just a business, not just a, a corporation called the church. I want to be part of a family. Here's the problem, that if you really follow that thread out, there's something that's required of our life, as is in any family. So what we've described it as is this, every time we gather, it's Thanksgiving. And the reason why we say it's Thanksgiving is because Thanksgiving has become my favorite holiday. And this is the story that we've told over the years. 
when I, when I grew up, my family, my extended family, I, I, they, they kind of disowned us. We didn't have any connection with them. So my holidays were me, my mom, my dad, and my sister. That was it. It was us four. And we'd have like Christmas, and my dad would open his gift, and we'd look at it and talk about it and discuss it and write thank you notes for it and goof around with it. And we'd take our time. And then we'd go to my mom, and we'd look at it and discuss it, and that was our Christmas. And, uh, uh, and Thanksgiving was just our little family sitting around the table. And then I married CJ, and I full-on, I've shared this story, but I full-on married the exact, I married into the exact opposite. Like, like, if we're here, she's over there somewhere. Like, just the exact opposite. And I encountered this the first time I went, because she's got step-siblings and half-siblings, and she's got nieces and nephews and cousins and aunts and uncles and and grandparents and all are involved. So I remember the first time I went to Christmas, I'm 19 years old, we're dating, and I show up to her house and I walked in and I'm like, what is this? There's like 40 some odd people in this room right now. She goes, this is Christmas. What? They all come together for this? They're like, yeah. And uh, so I'm trying to get to know people and so I asked her, this really happened, I said, who's that guy right there? She goes, that's my brother Dave. I said, oh, that's your brother Dave, okay, is that, is that your dad's side? Is that your stepmom's side? Like, I'm trying to figure out where to put people. And she, I asked her, I said, so who who's he, who's he belong to, your brother Dave? And she goes, neither, really. I said, like, this, this really happened. I said, well, how is he your brother? And she goes, she had to stop, and she goes, you know, I don't know, he just started coming around in high school. And it's just come ever since, and we call him brother. I'm like, that's not even legal. He shouldn't be here. He can't just, what? So, you know, this was the craziness. And then I remember they gave me a gift. I'm like, thank you. And I opened my gift, and I looked up, and like 10 other people were opening gifts simultaneously to me. We haven't even talked about mine, hadn't discussed it. And written letters about it. I'm like, whoa, hold on. And I'm like, what if I, like, what am I, I'm dating an anarchist is what's happening right now. I'm full on dating an anarchist. This is, she comes from a family of just pure chaos. But, but the reason, but because of my connection to this family now, Thanksgiving has become my favorite holiday. Without question, I love Thanksgiving. And we show up in the morning and it's an all day event and there's football and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and cousins and grandparents. It's amazing, I love it. And we just sit and connect. But, but what I learned quickly about Thanksgiving was that everybody jumps in and contributes or almost everybody. And, and I, I learned this because I was 19 years old, showed up and I walk in and somebody goes, hey, how you doing? And handed me a bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes, and a potato peeler. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to peel potatoes. That's what I'm doing. So I'm 19. Next year, I came back. Somebody hands me a bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes, a potato peeler. I'm like, I guess I peel potatoes. Next year, I show up. 21. Now, you know, we're about to get married now. Bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes. I'm 42 years old. I'm a grown man. I pastor a church. I have authored multiple books. I've spoke around the world. And you want to know what I did last Thanksgiving and what I will do this month? I peel potatoes. It's what I do. It's what I do. I'm really good at it. 
It's how I contribute to Thanksgiving, to every Thanksgiving. And it's just now, it's just what I do. In fact, I told this story and someone from our church bought me a potato peeler. I now bring my own potato peeler to Thanksgiving. It's from Japan. It was all in Japanese. It's amazing. I bring it myself. I'm, I'm legitimately thinking about making a holster for it. <laughs> I will bring my own potato peeler to Thanksgiving. And, and, and here's, the, here's the crazy thing. Like, I don't have a passion for potatoes. I don't feel called to potatoes. I, ha I haven't had an angel come and anoint me with a mandate for potatoes. I don't care about potatoes. I do have a passion for family, though. And I do have a passion to contribute and do whatever it takes to make this the best Thanksgiving possible. See, I feel we're called to serve. I feel that we're called to lay our lives down for one another. We're called to serve. It's not that we no longer care about our needs. It's not that we just get burnt out by constantly giving away everything we have. You have bread and seed. Make sure you know what you have and don't give away your bread and don't eat your seed. Like, you, you, have, to, you have to understand this, but the reality is, is I think that serving manifests in family. Serving should come alive in family. That when we come to Thanksgiving, there's a few people that don't serve. Do you know, you know who doesn't serve at Thanksgiving? Kids don't serve at Thanksgiving. And that's actually okay, right? Nobody's upset about that. Nobody's getting on my son when he's eight. How dare he not serve? Like he's out goofing around because he's young and immature and it's okay. It's not bad. But then there, the, third, the third group that doesn't serve is guests. We don't, we don't require guests to serve. It's all good. Like we have a lot of like kids at college and they will bring friends home for Thanksgiving they don't have to serve, sit there, we're good, we got you. But there's this third category that's just, it's abnormal, it's not, it's not normal. It's usually an uncle, and, uh, <laughs> and he sits on the couch all day long, doesn't help at all, and just randomly calls for people to bring him food and drinks. <laughs> that's just weird, right, that's weird. I think the most, the most natural, healthy thing when family comes together is everybody jumps in, contributes, helps out, serves. It's not guilt. It's not manipulation. It's not, and it's not shame if you don't, honestly. But the goal is jump in, get involved. And I can tell you, for me, it's the culture we want to establish, not because we need ushers. It's not a business. We're not, we do need ushers, don't we? But we're not going to say that. <laughs> All the ushers are like, stop that. Um, it's, not, it's not like a business plan, right? It's not like we've got a business plan and I got to get this amount of employees for this business to work. It's family. And you kind of jump in. You get involved. You contribute. And what you find is, is you find deeper love for family in the midst of that. You find connection for that. You find joy from that. You find love coming from that. It's not just, I'm going to give you a list on Sunday that you can get involved in, but it's not just there. It's a culture that we establish. And this is honestly what I would really challenge and call you to, is that to, to get involved. Now listen, some of you in this room, your guests. You may have been here for a year, but you're still kind of trying to figure out, is this our place? And some of you may have been burned out other places or the stage of life. Listen, there's no shame. There's no manipulation. There's no guilt in this, right? But, but, but as a pastor, I'm just telling you, there's a culture we want to establish that looks like serving and people jumping in and get involved because this is where life comes from in so many ways. So, so I would really encourage you Jump in, get involved. Just practically, 
On a Sunday, there's a lot that you can jump in and get involved in, and I would encourage you to do that. If you haven't, do it. Let me show you a list real quick. Look at this. Here's a list. Somewhere. There it is. I'm in the way of it. Here's all the stuff. Game changers, our kids ministry, campus safety, lobby experience, campus setup and teardown, hospitality, special events, intercession, prayer team, production, rise youth. These are all things that we have what are called hosts. We call them hosts because it's a family. They're hosts. They're people that are hosting people when they come to our house. These are people that are hosting people when they come to our house. I'd encourage you to jump in and become a part of one of the host team. And what I want to I ask you to do and I want to challenge you is when you leave today, we're going to give out one of these cards and then with, well, to each family. You only get one card per family because we're also going to give each one of you a potato peeler. <laughs> your, your own, your very own, because everybody needs a potato peeler branded Jesus Culture Sacramento. <laughs> if you don't have one, but you only get one per family because you only need one potato peeler, all right? But this has what we talked about, the list that's on there and a potato peeler for you at Thanksgiving. And if you don't use it, God will know. <laughs> and I want you to listen. I want you to actually lean into this. I want you to pray into this. If you're already serving, thank you for serving. If you're not, jump in. You got to go to Elements. You, gotta go, you, you do have to jump in first to Elements just to kind of get some of the culture stuff. But just jump in. It's quick and easy to do that. But I'd encourage you to pray about it. And you can do one of two things. One, you can go out to this, there's a tent out there. You can go ask questions if you'd like about what does that actually entail? How involved is it? What's that look like? You can go out there or you can sign up online too. It'll have this uh, jcsacramento.com slash host. And I would encourage you, if this is your family, if you say, this is my home, this is my family, jump in and contribute. Jump in, get involved. Because I really believe I could not be more encouraged about what God has done the last four years. Hear me on this. When it comes to all of these things, generosity, authenticity, hope, generational, nothing is impossible, submitted to scripture, I could not be more encouraged by what God has done in those things. But I do believe that God is saying, I need to even go deeper because what I'm going to build is not a small skyscraper. What he is going to do in our environment is going to require a group of people that are intentional about the foundation that we lay. And if we got to visit every four years, this concept that just says, hey, let's keep going. And the deeper we get, the wider we've got to get. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Culture San Diego Message of the Week. For more information on our church, visit jcsandiego.com.